John, how are you? Hey, I am good. Thank you. Better for being on this. Yay. I'm so excited. We get to talk about improv today. Which I love. I'm always happy to nerd out about improv. Yes, same. Um, so you are part of the Washington Improv Theater here in D.C., uh, one of the biggest improv theaters ever in the U.S. as well. So what inspired you to go into improv? How long have you been doing it? Let's get into it. Sure. Uh, I think most people, when they describe how they got into improv, they saw a show. They were like, oh, this is magic. I love it. Like, oh, I want to do this. I had a different, somewhat different route. The first improv show I saw was in uh, Central Florida. It was Disney had introduced this thing called Pleasure Island, which was crazy. You could drink on a Disney property, which was like up until then was never done. And there was a comedy club that was based heavily on improv. I didn't know it at the time. I just sort of wandered in there to see the show. Uh, and it was not great, but it looked fun. So, but weirdly that was empowering. It was like, oh, I mean, I think I could do that. Like, that looks fun. And like, I think I, so instead of being like, oh my God, how are they making this stuff on the spot? It was like, I think I could do that and maybe do better than that, which sounds arrogant, but you have to trust me, this show did not go well. Uh, in retrospect, they may have been wonderful improvisers, right? I think everyone's had shows where like, oh man, if someone saw this, they definitely would be sure that they should like, I should take the stage and help this person out. Uh, but <laughs> so that was the first one. And then, so I started doing uh, a little bit of uh, sort of uh, goofing around with improv in college when I was at, at Florida State and then I really got into it as a student at WIT and I just started doing it as a fun hobby. I was uh, working as a new professor and I just wanted a stress relief from the whole tenure track thing and whatnot uh, and so I just started taking it as fun uh, and then at the time I was going through hobbies kind of intensely for like two years at a time because two years is enough to like obsess about something but then it starts to feel like work and uh I, but improv stuck. I just fell deeply in love with it and was hooked. So. I love that. It's a beautiful story. <laughs> um, so in a brief statement, what do you, you are one of the directors of WIT at WIT at Work. Is that correct? Yep. So WIT has, um, WIT's a, a theater that has shows and classes for people who are interested in just learning improv, either to perform or not. But we also have a corporate training branch. So when companies bring us in for team building events or for skills building, uh, I'm the person who heads that. I also perform at WIT. I also teach the occasional class and workshop that's around performance, but my day gig is running the corporate training. Gotcha. That's really cool. So what do you do at this job and what are the typical day like if you have one? Oh, I think that's, uh, people often hear like, oh, you're making a living in comedy, which is already hard. And like you're making a living in improv comedy. It's like, all right, like I ride unicorns for a living. <laughs> like it's, it's not generally done. Uh, and it's true that I, it's many parts of the job are, are surreal and fun. Like it's great that um, I have a PhD in conflict analysis and resolution. I did some consulting. The clients I get for doing the improv actually have been far more interesting, like the training all of Deloitte's uh, project managers out at Deloitte University who are being skills. Um, uh, we have clients, it's based in DC. So all the acronyms like the Department of Justice, the EPA, um, State Department, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, National Institutes of Health, like things like, like that, uh, the IMF and World Bank, like all these really great clients and folks that are fairly high up in them. So there's really people who are doing really important, fascinating work. And then I'm getting them to do silly things with each other, but silly with a purpose. So um, it might be like if there's an improv game, word at a time story, but at the same time, it's teaching people to let go of control. 
Uh, and then we'll often do things like, all right, we're gonna do word at a time story where they're telling a story together, but they're trying, I have them think of a, a movie ahead of time and then they're doing word at a time and trying to sneak their story in. And it's a mess, right? They, they're judging every word their partner says, whether or not it helps them tell their story. They have a hard time getting their story told. They have no idea afterwards what the story their partner was. But then they say like, have you ever been in meetings that feel like this? And yes, and then it becomes this great um, jumping off point for talking about uh, talking with folks versus at them. And really it's, I mean, one of the reasons why I jumped ship from being a professor is that I realized my improv students were learning more about these skills than my grad students were in doing that. So that's like the cool thing. Like I get to do stuff in all these surreal, uh, high level, cool things to do trainings at, but at the same time, yes, my living company, but most of my day is spent answering client emails uh, doing invoicing, getting billing and receivables, uh, contacting clients about training. I mean, the stuff that you would do in any job for that. That sounds awesome. A lot of paperwork, I bet. Uh, a lot of electronic paperwork, yes. So yeah, yeah. I, like <laughs> through improv, I never thought I learned about like client relations management software and things like that. So wow. yeah, weird, that's, weird stuff like that. Yeah, that's insane. So let's talk about improv itself. So what has been like the adjustment of be going online of improv versus like in-person improv? Like what, what is it like? Um, so the good news about doing improv online is that the sense of performing it is, can be like, it, it varies for some people. It's like, nope, this is not working for me, but at least for me and for a good number of folks, is it to throw numbers at it? Like it feels like 70 or 80%, like I'm getting a lot of the enjoyment as far as what it's like to make a scene, what it feels like to be working with a scene partner to make something fun and discover it together. Like that's still, that has a lot going for it. Um, more so than I think if I was doing a stand-up routine where it's just like yelling into the ether, like I could just, I'd get more of a response if I, you know, take my, my puppy dog and like talk to, to him, like that, at least I <laughs> get that response uh, for that. But so the performing of it has it, Watching it is a little more difficult. Like it's tough. Like I think one thing it's, uh, I wish this pandemic never happened on uh, easy hot takes, but I have learned some stuff from it. And one thing I definitely learned is a real new appreciation for the role of the audience in comedy and what that plays out. Um, and I think, I think sometimes in improv, uh, it's easy to get too casual about it. Like, oh, I'm just going up to do a, a performance like we did last week when we're doing make him up. Uh, like that. And I think uh, we're going to be better about treating audiences, like everything about like before and after the show, just all the ways we recognize how important they are for making the comedy and getting a little bit more audience centric in that. Yeah, uh, I love that. It's tough because uh, we re we miss laughter. And then at the same time, uh, it's it, it can be a trap in improv if you're just trying to go for the laughs. Like usually before the pandemic, we're like, don't do that. And the really snooty way of thinking about it is like, imagine a poet was writing for an audience at the time, like with every word they write, they look up like, do you like that? Do you like that? Like that ruin that puts you in your own head. It ruins all sense of authenticity. Um, we even know this interesting research on improv that when people are improvising when they, on fMRI machines, that the part of their brain, the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, the part that gets concerned with how are other people judging this, of experienced professional improvisers, they tamp that down, whether or not they're doing comedy or jazz musicians. Like we generally train ourselves to serve the scene in the moment and not the audience, but at the same time, recognizing there, there's more to that audience matters. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I love that so much. Um, so what is your favorite improv game? Oh, um, so I often do long form where it's we get a word and go and do that. But I do love short form where there are games like that. Um, I really love, uh, it's sometimes called ding or new choice where every time there's a bell that rings, you change what you do. Like it's a great day today. Ding, That's it's a terrible day today. Ding. Too. Yeah, like uh, I love it. Um, I love both for what it does in scenes and also it really, it helps me get a little bit uh, out of my own head because I realize like it, it, important isn't the choice we make, just that we make a choice. And so realizing there's not a right answer, right? It's whatever you do, just commit and be curious and follow it. And the game just by, by force of structure uh, teaches you to do that. So I love that. I often love throwing that in the middle of other games. So like we'll be playing uh, like sit, lie, stand or um, any, just any game whatsoever and just to add ding on top of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Love that. My favorite games, definitely. Um, what is your favorite memory performing improv? Um, oh, uh, getting Amy Poehler to laugh. Like the, with uh, being in the audience of a show, uh, the Del Close Marathon and getting a laugh and just, yeah, getting, getting folks who you uh, respect and really admire and having them laugh. Yeah, I think that really, yeah, that, that definitely That's is awesome. That, that's a winning moment right there. Yeah. Um, so what are your dreams and your hopes for improv comedy, your dreams and hopes for wit, the future, et cetera? Uh, let's see. Um, I hope that improv theaters get better run as a result of this. I think uh, that a lot of, there really was the case that some of the largest improv theaters uh, that you can think of like UCB and IO uh, we're both really suffering from founder's trap where people, the person who thinks I want to start an improv theater uh, may not actually be a person who has all the skills necessary to run a large organization. So they start to, and that's not unique to improv, right? That founder's trap is something that it caps across industries, but it really definitely has hit improv a lot. And so larger theaters were often poorly run and smaller theaters were kind of run like tiny dictatorships where one person would make all the decisions. And you understand if it's, a, if it's this person's business, like it's online, but suddenly uh, people begin to try to get their approval and that creates all of their biases suddenly infuse the whole theater. That in generally improv theaters, the more people that are involved in making artistic decisions, the more democratic the stage is, the more representative the stage is, the better it is. And I think that there's been a real push during this pandemic and recognition around that, both because of theaters that have failed when things get tough because they were barely running because they weren't running too well in the first place. And also because of Black Lives Matter and um, some thankfully uh, raised awareness about diversity and equity and uh, harassment in theaters. And that uh, I think when it comes back, the theaters that are, that are still are still standing and then emerge are gonna be better about that. I think the performances are gonna be better as a result. And I think um, even though I don't see improv being like, ooh, on, a, on all beautiful stages throughout the country, I think even when it's in the back of a bar and whatnot, and uh, we're, that people are going to be more considerate of their audience um, and they're going to find, they're going to realize it can be playful, doesn't have to mean half-assing as much as we have. And so, yeah, I think 
there. Uh, I've gotten one chance to be on a stage during this um, for a socially distanced training where people are off. And I, I started crying on just what it felt like to be back on stage and just to move around on like that. And I just, I think it's going to have some appreciation for some stuff we took for granted. And I think that's going to be helpful. Yeah. Oh, it's so beautiful. Yay. I'm glad you were able to get that like social distance experience for getting on stage. I had not been on a stage. I remember the last time I've been on a stage. It's been so long. Uh, prepare to oh. lose a little bit. Like, to, yeah, it's just, oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Also, just running around. I literally, like, was like before I ended up, I was like, yeah, like, look at all this. I can stand over here. Uh, in improv, there's this uh, a joke that the standard stage picture is the number 11, uh, where the, the two improvisers just they have a whole stage, but they just go, Rump. and it's in part because, particularly in D, it varies by area, but a lot in DC, I think most of our imp- folks who do improv in DC don't have a background in theater. And so the whole idea of stage picture is something that, if you haven't done theater isn't something you think about, like you've never done blocking for a play or something like that. Uh, And so there's not a lot of recognition of how we can move to show things. Uh, And now I think people are gonna realize now that we've been in this tiny boxes uh, that they're gonna just be so happy. Like, look at all the places I can be on stage that mean something. Uh, I think that's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's awesome. I love that. So my last general question for you is what advice do you have for future comics who are interested in improv or something you wish someone told you when you first started doing out improv? Um, if they're stand-up comics uh, and they're no, let the, no, it's going to be different for improv. Uh, I know stand-ups who do wonderful improv. Um, I had the good fortune on somebody like Seton Smith, who was one of my first improv troops uh, for doing that. Uh, Rory Scovel came out of that. Natasha Rothwell came out of it. So we've had these great, uh, Aparna uh, all came out of it, who do great improv. So sometimes it's doing one or the other and it doesn't have to be. Particularly, uh, you watch those people who did improv and the way that they um, they act out uh, do work is is really informed by improv and stand-up is so much better for it. But some of the reflexes that people sometimes have in stand-up uh, can lead to bad improv. And so there's some rewiring uh, for that. Uh, and particularly if they're, if they're really good standups, they're gonna do really well at improv, but early standups when you're trying to be funny so hard, uh, improv, um, the ooh, ooh, I've got a funny idea, which in standup leads me to write in the notebook to do that. In improv, when you go, ooh, ooh, I've got a funny idea, uh, your, your danger sense should go on because the, it generally doesn't go too well. Like the audience already thought of that. That just seems hack the moment you say it because everyone in the audience is is brighter than you are on stage in improv because you're making it up, fight or flight's going on. You're not doing this from a script on that. Um, But I would say, I I think improv ultimately is good. Uh, Oh, the other thing, uh, you're gonna have, if you've ever done stand-up and you've been one of the people going, hey, it's just a joke or this is a joke, or, uh, or like can't take a joke, or if you've ever tried to say uh, comedy is my excuse to be a racist, sexist, fucking asshole, uh, and that yeah, that's what's about. That's a freedom from stand up. I'm gonna stand up isn't my domain, so I'm not gonna talk about that. Though I, I think it could it could be better. But uh, you're if it's a good run, well run theater, you're gonna you're not gonna find it a welcoming place. And I love that about improv. So. Yeah, you're going to have to play well with others. And if the thing you love about stand-up is that you don't have to play well with others, uh, yeah, uh, don't, improv isn't your home. 
Uh, but P.S. Uh, the stand-up community lifts each other up. So if you don't play well with others, they're probably not going to help you out. Facts right there. <laughs> um, so my next few questions are a fire round improv game we can play together. Um, Everything is better with fire and arson. I love it. Go, go, go. Yes. <laughs> Um, okay, so I'm going to give you a minute to answer each, but you could answer in less. That'd be awesome. But I'm going to give you a minute. Can be nice. All right. Is it a minute each question or this whole round is a minute? I think that's right. Each question. Oh, great. All right. Yeah. You can use your improv, you know, skills. And I feel like when he's like, I did competitive debate long ago, which like has you talking really fast. So maybe I'll just give long, like a, someone who's doing an auction barker. Okay. <laughs> okay. So my first question for you is, who is your favorite wit performer? And go. Oh, crud. Uh, my favorite wit performer, Natasha Rothwell, who's not with it anymore, but I love it. Yes. Uh, Natasha could read the phone book and it would be engaging and hilarious and funny and wonderful. And she, I generally don't like the idea about talent. It takes work and effort, but damn, if she isn't talented and She's not reading the phone book. She's brilliant and hilarious and insightful. And so I miss her being with Wit. But of course, I'm glad she's got all the success. I love that. And you answered in 30 seconds. Nice. Yay. I'll bank. Okay. I'd like to bank the remaining time. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> um, okay. So the next question is a Herald team at Wit who would you would like to get lunch with and go? Um. Madeline, I've, I really love, uh, well, they're not a Herald team anymore, but they were a Herald team. When I, I, I was the original coach of Madeline. I loved that troop. I miss them. I would love to get lunch with them. Uh, so oh, they, good eggs. Interesting. Yeah. Yay. Okay. You answered that also in 30 seconds. Um, okay. Anyway, I'm worried about the five minute answer. Like, like what was the five minute answer? Like, ah, but before let's talk about this. Yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> I also feel bad that I don't know all the Herald troops necessarily right now because How I'm many not are coaching there? Herald. Uh, I'm not sure we're up to. Usually there's been around five-ish uh, Herald troops somewhere in that. It's I feel like we're just down. growing every day. I'm seeing a new Instagram page for it. Right. Also, like if you gave me a choice, like I was on a I was on a Herald team called King B that became a house ensemble and eventually sent it. I would love to go back and be on a Herald team. Like that was some of my fondest memories. But you really can't because it's supposed to be a chance for new people to get the experience of it. But yeah, if I could get a fake mustache and sneak on to <laughs> a Herald team, that would be terrific. That's what I would want to do. <laughs> I love that. Okay. My last question for you is what is your favorite place or stage you would perform at? And go. Um, I've got a real love for DCAC and it's just because for a lot of folks in improv, that was the, when you were on an, before you made a house ensemble or a Herald team, you were an indie troupe. And that used to be one of the most common venues. So it's a mess of a performance space. The tech booth, you can fall out and kill yourself super easy. Uh, you rehearse behind it with theirs, where there are colonies of enormous rats uh, that are, you know, part of it and whatnot but I just have so many fond memories. So it's a cross between that and the other is um, performing at, on the main stage, stage at, a, at any large festival is always just a wonderful experience because uh, it's a room full of improvisers. It's, it's a packed room, it's a large venue. Um, there are people that you love and respect and work with and it's just great when you can do a, a great set in front of your peers. So, I love that. Yeah, I, 
I like low and highbrow. Yay. Um, that's all the questions I have, John. Thank you so much for doing this. This is so fun. So good to see you since like, it's been so long. It's great to see you. And I just, if there's any folks who are like listening, you're like, oh, improv. Like, I feel like uh, more people know about stand up and they hear about improv on it. Uh, they should try it. I, it's, it sounds super cult like on the like, oh, it will change your life and it's wonderful. But I like, I look, I changed whole careers because of it. So I, I'm, I'm walking the talk on that part of it. And it is really wonderful. You'll have some just remarkable experiences. Uh, and there are a lot of people who do improv who never bother, who don't go to perform later who still uh, see it as really wonderful. So yeah. 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 I love that. Thank you so much. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for, I, I think, uh, I mean, with all the stages being dark, it's really kind of frightening to think of like comedy dying. I mean, it really wouldn't or not, but I think it takes a little bit extra work to keep the flame going. So thank you for doing this. And yeah.